Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew, and it's great to have you tuning in to our sermons this way. If you don't currently have a church home and you're interested in learning more, you can go to our website at www.cherokeemethodist.com. We're located in Cherokee at 531 West Main Street, and our phone number is 712-225-3955. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been going through the Apostles' Creed and taking a look at the basics of our faith, the basics of what we believe as Christians. And we are now at the very end, the last two lines of the Apostles' Creed, the part that says, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now, if you want to, if you happen to have a United Methodist hymnal handy, you can find the Apostles' Creed on page 881 or you can look it up on the internet. Also, this sermon is based on the writings of Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. And so, as we think about this last part of the Apostles' Creed, one of the basic core beliefs that we have is that after death we continue living. Life after death, whatever we want to call it, we believe that we continue on in some way forever. But when we think about this, so many questions come to our mind. Like, what exactly happens after we die? Right? Are we asleep? Are we in heaven? What exactly happens after we die? What is Paul talking about when he talks about a resurrection body? What exactly will we be like? Will we recognize one another? What are we going to do? What won't we be doing? So many questions that we have, and there's no way we're going to be able to answer all of them, somewhat because not all of them are answerable. But I hope to touch on some of the basics. So let's go ahead and get started. When we think about the question of what Jews and Christians have believed about life after death, or in other words, what the Bible says about life after death, we have to be careful because it depends on where you look in the Bible. Believe it or not, depending on the part of the Bible you look at, you're going to get a different answer about what happens after you die. And that's because God's people came to a gradual understanding of life after death. So the thing to remember is when we read our Bibles is that the earlier you go in the Bible, the diff- when it comes to this subject, the more their beliefs are going to vary. So in the early Old Testament history, Jewish people did not believe in any meaningful life after death. It's hard to believe, but they did not believe in life after death in any meaningful way. They did not have a concept of a soul or a spirit that can exist outside of the body. In the creation story in Genesis, God creates the human being and then he breathes life into the person, and that breath animates the body. But for the Jewish people, especially back then, there was no concept of an immortal soul, if that makes sense. So we are made from the dust, and to the dust of the earth we will return. They did believe that, that we go to a certain place when we die, though, and that is a place that they called Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, Sheol, which is a Hebrew word that basically means the pit or the grave, right? And it's basically, 
kind of this shadowy existence, not a really meaningful conscious existence, but this underworld where everybody goes when they die. Righteous, unrighteous, it doesn't matter. Everybody ends up in the grave when they die. Everybody ends up in the same place. And so this makes sense when we read certain scriptures, like there are some Psalms where the authors say, sometimes in the Psalms the author is asking God to protect him or her from death. And then the author would say, what is benefit is there for me going down to the pit or Sheol? Can the dust praise you? And there are numerous times in numerous psalms where they talk about how if they die, they cannot praise God. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because that's one of the things that we believe for sure as Christians is that, you know, it was just a couple of weeks ago that I mentioned that when we worship God, then in a very real sense, we're joining those who've passed away before us who are worshiping God in heaven, right? I mean, we don't know every detail about heaven, but one thing we think we're pretty sure about is that we worship God there. But yet, the authors of these psalms are saying, I can't worship God when I'm dead. I can't do anything when I'm dead. And that makes sense if we realize that they did not have the same belief of life after death the way we do. It also makes sense of certain parts of Scripture. For instance, think about the problem of the fairness of life. Right? We all have a sense that life should be fair. Right, The good should be rewarded, the wicked should be punished, and we know that life isn't that way. Right, We know that life isn't fair, it doesn't always work out that way. The righteous sometimes have bad, hard lives, and the unrighteous sometimes have wonderful lives, and it's not fair. And so we have trouble with this, but just imagine if you didn't believe that there was any meaningful existence after death then that problem would be all the more urgent. And so, you see, if you are going to believe that God is fair, then you have to believe that the righteous are rewarded in this life. And you have to believe that the unrighteous are punished in this life, not in the life to come, right? It has to be in this life. And therefore, the prevailing belief amongst most people in Old Testament days is that if you are suffering— it's because you did something to deserve it. And if you are not suffering and you have a great life, that is a sign that you're blessed. We still fall into that trap today. We still tend to think that way, even though on one level we know it's not true. We sometimes act as though it is, right? If somebody has everything going well for them, we say they're blessed. But what does it mean when somebody uh, doesn't have anything going well for them and they're just falling apart. Does that mean that they're cursed? Does that mean that they did something wrong to deserve it? Sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we would say that sometimes we do think that way. But it's the same way they thought back then. And so this is why, like in the book of Job, in the book of Job, it tells a story about a man who was righteous, who lost almost everything. He lost all of his children, all of his wealth. He lost his health. He still had his wife. But he lost almost everything. And they really emphasize in the book that he's righteous because they're setting up this argument. And so Job has his friends who come and they try to console him and help him out. And the way they do that is by telling him that he must have done something wrong to deserve what's happened to him. And if he would just repent and turn back to God, good things would happen again. Now, 
2,000 plus years removed from this, we look back and we think, oh my goodness, how could they possibly say such insensitive things? And yet who of us at one time or another hasn't thought that about somebody else? Right? We don't necessarily say it to them. But really what Job's friends were doing is they were trying to help him out using the prevailing wisdom and the scriptures of the day, as we do see plenty of scriptures that say that that God will bless us if we are righteous and curse us if we're unrighteous, right? And so they're just using the prevailing wisdom of the day, but then Job is like a countervoice, and he's saying, nope, I'm not going to have it. This is not fair. I haven't done anything wrong or certainly not anything to deserve this. This is not fair. God is not being fair to me, and I want to have an audience with him. You know, I, I want to talk to him, and I want to confront him. Life is not fair. Life is not all nice and neat and packaged the way you all think. So you have this debate going on throughout Job. So you see that there are actually multiple voices in the Scripture. And so it really matters where you look in the Bible in order to get your answers for certain things. This also makes sense of the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes is really an interesting book. It's really a unique book in the Bible. It's the kind of book that we rarely actually read from in church because it's not churchy enough, right? It's too cynical. It's much too cynical and hopeless to read much of it in church. And so we pick a few sanitized portions of it that we cut out. So, you know, we read the part that says there is a time for everything under heaven, and it talks about a time to love, a time to heal, and all these things. Of course, if you read further, the point the author is making is that it's all meaningless because we don't know when it's the right time for either thing. There's a few other parts of Ecclesiastes that we read, but we don't dare read the rest of it, right? But if you read through Ecclesiastes, what you're going to see is you're going to tell yourself, boy, this author is really cynical. This author is really hopeless because basically his message is that Everything in life is meaningless because it doesn't matter if you're wealthy. It doesn't matter if you gain wisdom. It doesn't matter if you have a good life or not. It doesn't matter if you follow God or not because no matter who you are, righteous or unrighteous, godly or ungodly, we all end up in the same place. We all end up in the pit. And so his words to us are to obey God anyway and get whatever joy we can out of life while we have it. <laughs> Not exactly the message we're looking for. But again, it's another countervoice saying, hey, wait a minute. Life isn't as nice and neat and tidy as everyone thinks it is. And see, the author of Ecclesiastes, he doesn't necessarily have all the answers, right? But he's, he's pointing out the unfairness and sometimes what we would consider to be the absurdity of life. All right, so we we have this you know, the prevailing wisdom, life has to be fair, because they didn't believe in much of a life after death. But then the counter voice is saying, yeah, but life isn't fair. And then you also see hints in the Old Testament of, of a gradual understanding of life after death. So for instance, we have Job himself hoping that after he dies, he can somehow have an audience with God. So he holds out hope for some kind of meaningful existence. Then we have uh, King Saul, who calls forth the spirit of the prophet Samuel. Then we have in the later writings of the Old Testament, like Daniel, we have ideas such as resurrection, uh, 
a, a judgment of God, some to everlasting life, some to everlasting punishment. So we see a lot of gradual understanding of life after death. And then when we get to the New Testament, it is completely different, right? You might not notice this, but of course there are, you know, 400-some years between the Old and the New Testaments. So a lot happened between then, which helps us make sense as to why the New Testament reads so much differently than the Old Testament. So when you get to the New Testament, all of a sudden there's angels and demons everywhere. There is all kinds of talk about life after death, resurrection, and all these things that you hardly ever saw in the Old Testament. That's because in the time between the Testaments, there arose certain groups within Judaism. One of the groups was were called the Pharisees. Paul was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees believed in what other people, what more conservative folks would probably call new ideas, new liberal ideas, such as angels and demons and life after death and resurrection and all of these things. Uh, they, they believed in these things and they taught them. Another group of Jewish people called the Sadducees, they didn't believe in life after death or angels or demons or all any of those things. And so, you know, they were more conservative and they clung to their older beliefs and they thought that since the first five books of the Bible, which they call the Torah or the law, since the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, do not include anything about life after death or angels or demons or any of those things, they're not going to believe those things. Some people make a joke and they say they didn't believe in angels or life after death, so they're sad, you see. <laughs> it's a bad joke, I know. But anyway, you have these all kinds of different thought, and so you can see that you can't just say, what did all Jews believe about life after death, any more than you could ask, what do all Christians believe about any particular topic? It's more complicated than that, and it depends on the group of Jews that you're talking to. And so it really does matter where you look in the Bible to find your answers for certain things, and certainly about life after death. You see, the Bible is not a flat book like an encyclopedia where you just open it up, and it's the same type of literature, and you can just point to something and have it tell you a definitive answer for something. You have to be a little bit more discerning in what kind of literature you're reading, what part of the Bible you're looking at, Because if you read Ecclesiastes, for instance, if you want to know about life after death, please don't read Ecclesiastes 9, right? Uh, Now I know you're all going to open up to Ecclesiastes 9 and read it. Uh, It's it's a pretty uh, depressing conclusion that the author comes to. But So we have to be careful about where we look. Because what we see in the scripture is we see this principle at work where God's people don't all of a sudden know everything. But it's a gradual learning and a gradual understanding. And so in the New Testament, we have Paul talking extensively about the resurrection body and life after death and the end of the age. We have Jesus talking about the same things. We have Revelation, which paints a picture of a new heaven and a new earth and a resurrection and everlasting life. All of these things that Jesus taught and that we believe to be true. And so... Let's get back to those questions. What happens after we die? Well, unfortunately, the scripture isn't quite clear about that. A lot of times when the scripture talks about life after death, they actually talk about what happens at the end, 
when Jesus returns and there's a final judgment and all those things, which is different than what happens right after we die. The closest thing we have is when Paul says that when we are absent from the body, we are present with God. So that leads us to believe that when we die, we are in the presence of God right away, which is wonderful to know. I also tend to believe that when we die, we will recognize our loved ones. You know, as we think about the resurrection body, what is our body like, the resurrection body? What is it like? Well, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, but we can also look to the example of Jesus and look at what Jesus was like after he was resurrected. And and so we know that Jesus was very much like he was before his body. They, Even though they had trouble sometimes, they recognized him. They knew who he was. He had his scars. He, you know, they, he, he was recognizable. But he could do some things that we can't do, like going through locked doors. And so what this tells us is that in the afterlife, we will recognize one another. We will recognize one another. But we're, we're going to have bodies at the end of the age. This is what the Bible teaches. So, I know that sometimes people will say that we are made for heaven, and people will think of heaven as the final resting place, but that's actually not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that when we die, we go to heaven and we just stay there forever, right? We are not meant to be bodiless spirits in heaven. That is not how God created us, right? I mean, if that's what God created us for, then why not just do it that way? Why go to all the trouble of making a, an actual physical world and making people with actual physical bodies if the whole point is to be bodiless spirits in heaven? The Apostle Paul writes about this, and he says that, that when, when you die, we're unclothed. It's like not having our body. We're unclothed. Something isn't right. Something is missing, and that's what death does, right? And so, if if God is going to just have us live in heaven forever as bodiless spirits, then in what sense can we say that death has been defeated? You know, it's almost as though God made his creation and made us the way he wanted us, but then death came, and it's like God had to adjust his plan and say, oh, well, death came, so I guess we're just going to have to make do with bodiless spirits in heaven. I mean, I'm sure that heaven is wonderful, right? But that's not to last forever. That's not to last forever. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches at the end. When we See, when we look at the end of Revelation, we don't have a picture of bodiless spirits in heaven. What we have is a picture of a new heaven and a new earth, a new, renewed creation. God's not giving up on creation. God's not giving up on his project. He's not going to go to plan B. He's not going to let death win. No, just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead in his physical body, in the end, we will all be resurrected from the dead in very real physical bodies, right? That's literally what resurrection means. So when we die and we go to heaven, that's not resurrection. When we are resurrected in a physical body, that is resurrection. And you say, well, Mike, what about the people for whom there is no body anymore? And I would simply say, is anything too wonderful for God? God created us in the first place. He can create us again. And so, we will be, in the end, at the end of the age, in very real physical bodies, living in a very real world. We'll be able to do certain things like eating and drinking, you know, just as Jesus did when he was resurrected. But the difference is, there's no expiration date on our bodies. We're going to live forever. And we're not going to have any more 
crying or pain or disappointment or fear or cancer or Parkinson's or chemo or radiation or any of these things. Praise be to God. That's good news. That is what it looks like for death to be defeated. And so, what's going to happen right when we die? What exactly is heaven like? What, how is it actually going to work when we're all resurrected and life everlasting? And, you know, these are all questions that are hard for us to explain with detail, right? We know what it's not, right? We know it's not, there's no more crying, pain, disease, death, any of those things. And we know that it's going to be good. Why? Because God is in charge. You know, kids oftentimes ask their parents all kinds of questions because they want to know what's going on and they want to know every detail about what's going on. But the thing is, some of the things that the kids that kids want to know, they're not old enough to even understand the answers. Or it would just take too long to explain. And so a lot of times what parents do is they'll say, you just have to trust us. And kids have to learn to trust that their parents know what's best for them. And it's the same thing with God. When it comes to some of these questions we have, we we are inquisitive folks. We want to know all the details because life after death seems so mysterious to us. And so we want to know all the details, but God the Father is telling us, you wouldn't understand it if I told you. You just have to trust me. And so we place our trust in God. We place our trust in God knowing that that God loves us and God has been with us every single day of our lives, there's no reason not to believe that life after death will be amazing, amazingly good. And so we come to the end of the Apostles' Creed. These are things that we believe. They don't, it's not necessarily everything we believe, but it's some of the basics. And so I want to end this sermon by imploring you to make sure that these things are not just ideas kept in your mind. Our beliefs need to be more than anthems or creeds or statements. They need to, and they are only as important as the level to which they are lived out in our daily lives. So take what we believe and let it transform how you live and how you treat one another. Amen. God bless and have a great week.